Listen to this, James 3, the first 12 verses. Let's give our attention to this. Let's receive this as if it comes straight from the throne, because it does. Knowing this, or know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 26 of chapter 1, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. I want to review this so you remember that he's already talked about the tongue a little bit. Remember those verses from chapter 1? Now here's chapter 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Let's stop there. Let's read together. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that during this time that you would do more than what we hope for. That you would do more than what we think can happen. That you would do more than what we think should happen. that you would do extraordinary things with your word again and again in us. For your glory, we pray this. And we pray this with hope and we pray this with expectation because we're praying through the blood of you, Jesus. We're praying to you, Father, through our Lord and in the power of your spirit. Amen. So this is the point of James 3, 1 through 12. So if you're taking notes, this is the takeaway. We must tame what is untamable, and we can't do it, but it must be done. You get that? James is telling us that we must tame what is untamable, and we can't do it, but it must be done. Got it? I'll say it again in a few moments. I want to start by telling you this story. In order to understand this story, you need to have these prerequisites. Number one, uh, I am a Tennessee fan. Got it? Many of you know this already. Prerequisite number two, 
We won our last national championship in football in 1998 at the Fiesta Bowl. So remember Fiesta Bowl, all right? Those are the prerequisites for understanding the story. A number of years ago, I was asked to speak at a weekly gathering of uh, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, at a local high school. So they actually asked me to come and speak every week. So I was going to this local high school every week, and one, one, uh, one week I showed up a little bit early so that, uh, you know, when the bell rings and people change classes and all that, I could go in the room and kind of get set up a little bit earlier, earlier than normal. So I'm waiting in the hall, and I'm leaning up against one of the walls, and across from me is a gigantic man. And I knew that one of the largest churches in town had a new youth pastor, and many of uh, the youth at that church were coming to the, this FCA weekly meeting. So I was leaning against one wall, and he was leaning against the other, and his back was turned to me, and he was this, did I say he was a big man? Oh, yeah. He was 6'5", 260 pounds. And he had on this old-school black leather jacket. And across the back of this jacket said, Florida State. So I'm leaning against the wall, and I see this guy. I think I know who he is, but I've never met him before. And so I said, hey. And he kind of looked over his shoulder and was like, hey. <laughs> and then I said to him, do you like football? And he looked over his shoulder at me and said, yeah. Then he went back and messed with his phone. And I said, who's your team? And he looked over and he said, Florida State. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say after that. So just a few seconds later, he actually turned around and said, who's your team? And I said, Tennessee. And he pointed to a patch on his jacket that said, Tostitos Fiesta Bowl. And he said, oh, this is how it's going to be? <laughs> now, let me tell you, number one, I didn't know he played for Florida State. Number two, I didn't know that he was wearing swag from what he got from that national championship game where Tennessee beat Florida State. I had no, I didn't even, I didn't even connect those dots. And he just looked at me and said again, that's how it's going to be? He thought I was talking trash. I wasn't, okay? He was a very large man and I know my place. It took me months before I could have a normal conversation with him because he thought I was talking trash. I tell that story to you, hopefully, and I'm glad you laughed. Words are powerful, aren't they? I wasn't even trying to trash talk the guy. I didn't know that he played in the NFL either. Like he actually, he literally played, he started at Florida State. Yeah, I was really embarrassed and I felt terrible. Words have power. There's power to words. Even when you're not necessarily trying to get yourself in trouble, you can get yourself into trouble all the time. Have you experienced this? James says to that, we have to tame what is untamable and you can't do it, but it must be done. So here's where we're going. That's the idea. So here are the two things we're going to look at, and they're going to be questions. Here's the first one. What are we going to do? Or, or, or no, sorry. That's the second one. The first question is, why is the tongue such a problem? 
Why is the tongue such a problem? Let's look at these verses together because James tells us many things. I'll narrow it down to three. Why is the tongue such a problem? You know, James pulls us right into this idea with verse one. He talks about teachers. Now, whether he's, we won't get into the technical discussion because it doesn't matter. We all know teachers, right? As a matter of fact, if we really think about it, all of us are teachers. We are always teaching someone. If you're parents, then you're teaching your kids one way or another, formally, informally. We're always teaching someone. Anytime that you have a discussion with someone where you are contributing information and you're going back and forth with something, you are trying to teach someone something. And James says to pull us all in because all of us are in some form or fashion a teacher. Some of us get paid to try to shape people's minds and try to help people understand things. That's part of my job. The main part of my job is to teach. We all know what it's like to be a teacher. and We all know what it's like to learn something. And James is saying, oh yeah, all of you teachers, that means all of us in one form or another. Don't forget that the tongue is a problem because the tongue reminds us that we're all accountable. Remember, you see what it says about the teachers? They will receive a, what? Stricter judgment. In other words, the tongue is a problem because we're accountable for everything that comes out of our mouth. You ever thought about that? Everything. God weighs every single thing we have ever said. And there will be stricter judgment for those of us who teach. That's just true. It means it's inescapable. You can't get away from it. And by the way, let's dive into this judgment just for a second. Because if you're in Christ, you need to know what this judgment is like. And if you're outside of Christ, you need to be more aware because outside of Christ, this judgment is you and what you've said before God. End of story. That's what you're going for. That's what, we're, that's what will happen if you are outside of Jesus. You will have to face the living God and be held accountable for every single thing that you have ever said in your own strength and in your own defense. That's it. If you're in Christ, the judgment that he's talking about here is like this. As a parent, I love my children. Like, I love them. I will always love my children. They are always on solid ground with me, always. I don't think that there's anything that they could ever do to make me not love them. I want them to know that as, far, as long as I'm alive, there is safe place here. But I also think about the way they live their life from now, at this point, a 46-year-old vantage point. And I did it at a 40-year-old vantage point, 35-year-old vantage point, 30-year-old vantage point, 27-year-old vantage point. Like, as I love my children, I look at their lives from my vantage point as their father, and I've always tried to remember what I was like and what decisions that I made when I was their age. Does this sound familiar? In other words, Yes, I love my children. The analogy is that God loves us in Christ and he sees us through what Christ has done, but he looks at what we do and what we say from the vantage point of an infinitely loving father who designed us to live in certain ways. 
and designed us to use our tongues in certain ways. So he looks at us and evaluates how we live through what Jesus has done, knowing that we're always on solid ground of love, but he looks at it from an infinite vantage point because he wants us to constantly remember we need him, right? So why is the tongue such a problem? Well, the tongue reminds us that we're accountable. Second, look at the next number of verses. The tongue is a problem because it's really small. The tongue is really small, but it's super powerful. Look at the illustrations that he uses. He talks about a horse and a bit. He talks about a ship and a rudder. And he talks about a little spark or a little flame that can cause tremendous forest fire and burn down thousands upon tens of thousands and more acres. He's talking about something that's really small that makes an incredible impact. So that riding a horse, you know, this little bit that's there. You can move a horse around, and guess what? A horse can carry hundreds of pounds and hardly even feel it. You know this? Horses are powerful. And James is saying the tongue is small, but it's very, very powerful. It's so powerful that it looks at what he says in verse 6, that it affects the whole, our whole being. It kind of stains everything. It kind of encompasses all that we do and all that happens can all be traced back to things that we say or things that we don't say that we should have said. So that this little part of our body has such an enormous effect on everything about us. Just like the bit, just like the rudder, just like the little spark that can ignite an entire fire. It affects everything about us. It's that powerful. The third reason he gives for this, why the tongue is such a problem, if you notice in the next verses, is this. Because the tongue cannot be tamed. Look at verse 7 and following. Animals, tame. Anyone got a dog in here? Tame that dog? Can you teach it? Yep. You can teach a parakeet how to say some words. You can teach all kinds of animals how to do all kinds of things. Animals, we were created as human beings to have dominion over animals and to make them do what they should do, to work properly, to glorify God. Tongue, look at what it says in verse eight. No human being can tame the tongue. Did you see that? So James is saying that we have to tame what is untamable, and we can't. Look at what he says in the other verses surrounding verse eight, but following verse eight. But there are a couple of phrases he uses around there. The tongue is a, uh, did you notice this one? Restless evil. You feel that? Have you ever felt how powerful your own tongue is? Just go back to my story. Like I was trying to meet this guy, suggesting what I thought were harmless things. Hey, do you like football? Not knowing that I had pulled the pin out and thrown the grenade and boom, this thing erupted. Do you know what it's like? Do you know what it's like to say things that you shouldn't say? Anybody ever been there? How about the other phrases? It's not just a restless evil, it's full of poison. Did you notice that? 
And, and, and even more than that, look at the next verses in uh, 9 and 10 and following. With it, we bless God our Father and we curse those that are made in his image. John Paul referenced this last week. I'll bring it up again with a slight twist. He mentioned sticks and stones. Whoever come, came up with the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never hurt me. Remember that? He said, so he alluded to that somehow last week, and I couldn't help but agree with him completely. Who said that? In, you know, it's actually more like this. Sticks and stones may only break my bones, but words seem to last forever. Is that true for you? I just, just think about your life. Think about the words that have been said about you that you remember to this day. I'll give you a few seconds. Think about the things that have been said about you. I'm not talking about the good things. Those are the ones that you forget, right? Think about your evaluations at work. What do you remember? The negative. Am I wrong? Am I the only one? I could go on and on about things that have been said about me from when I was very young that have really messed me up that I'm still trying to work through. Do you have those same experiences? In other words, we know what it's like to be on the receiving end, right? But are you willing to think about the ones that you've said that may have hurt other people? How in one moment, you might be blessing God, and in the next moment, you might be trashing someone who's made in his image. Beloved, I want to tell you that I have done that thinking that I was doing it appropriately because I was using truth. Horrible. Horrible. I have, I have struggled with this many years. You know what it's like? Do you feel the weight of what James is saying? Do you feel the weight of what God is telling us through James? How many do you know? How many have you read about? How many people have you read about or heard about that ended up taking their own life because of how much they had been ripped to shreds. It's happened here, in our county, in our schools. Hasn't it? I'm not making this up. I'm saying James is on to something. God knows what he's saying. Maybe, maybe what we should do, I want to suggest this to you, is try this little experiment. Because what I'd like to do is to now that you get a sense of all of what James is talking about, that the tongue is untamable. It's this restless evil. It's set on fire by hell because our enemy loves it when we use what God has meant for good for evil. And to press this even further and hopefully get you to think about your own life even more. Because the point of this is to get you to think about who you really are. Maybe you should try this little experiment. 
Uh, if you're really brave, well, let me back up. Try this experiment uh, this afternoon. If you want to, rest the rest of the day and try it tomorrow. If you're really brave, try it for a week. I don't know. You just, you make up your mind if you're willing to do this. I can't force you to do it, but I'll suggest it to you. For a certain period of time, whatever you deem like you want to try it, try this. Try to live an afternoon, a day, or a week without boasting in yourself or defending yourself. Try to make it an afternoon, a day, or a week without tearing anyone else down. See if you can do that. See if you can make it an afternoon without feeling the compulsion to defend yourself, feel the compulsion to brag about yourself. See if you can not give in to the compulsion to tear someone else down. See if you can do it. Because my hunch is that if you try it, what you'll find, and these are just categories that I made up, and I know there are a lot better ones, and you can add to these, I hope, you might discover that at, real, at heart, you are a genuine fisherman. That you might realize that you do a really good job of camouflaging your pride so that someone else will feed it. So you're always fishing for compliments, throwing things out there, Camouflaging your pride, hoping that someone else will fill it for you. Maybe you might realize that you are very critical. That it just comes natural for you to criticize everything and always rip everything up. That it's almost a habit that you can't stop. Have you heard some of the things from previous weeks? That maybe you have this critical spirit and it is an incessant choice to constantly tear things down and that you might really, really struggle with knowing how to build someone up or to say positive things, encouraging things. You might find out, and this one's gonna be a little more tricky. Got two left for you. You might find out that you are delusional. Now, that's when, this is going to be really tricky, and you need someone to probably help you see this. But you might realize that you can't make it through six hours or a day or a week without really facing reality. Like there's deflection everywhere else, meaning you can't really be honest. There's no place in your life where you can be safe to talk about how you really feel and what's actually going on. Therefore, everything in your life is just covering up what's real because you're delusional. I'm not saying this to slam a single person. I'm saying this because I want you to think. Because it's hard to live by truth. It is a fight to live by the truth. It's so easy to create an alternative reality in which we are not being honest about anything while we pretend. And if you will notice this and recognize this in your own life, then it will save you a lot of years of trying to just pack on, pack on fake thing after fake thing after fake thing after fake thing. And it'll be really hard to come to grips with reality. And here's the fourth one. If you try this little experiment, you might recognize that you are a me monster. Now, if anyone, any of you likes comedy, 
There's a guy named Brian Regan, and I would encourage you to look at this little bit that he's done uh, about, um, I'm trying to think of the name of it because it goes by different names. I walked on the moon. But he's describing a me monster. He's describing what it's like to be in a room in which everyone always has to one-up the other. You been in those rooms? You know what it's like to be there? Where you, where you say something and then the people you're talking to feel compelled that they have to add to it because they, I mean, you, can't, you can't be the best one here. You been in those rooms? The incessant desire to defend yourself and promote yourself and brag about yourself. And he has this wonderful bit about, uh, about he wished that he was one of the few people who's walked on the moon. Because then he could sit at this big table and everybody's eating and everybody's just talking about how great they are. And if you're the me monsters walked on the, room, in the, on the moon, you can sit there and at the very end you can say, well, that's great, I walked on the moon. <laughs> Do you have that desire in you is the point in which you have to make everything about you so that someone comes to you with a problem and then it has to be about you. Notice this about yourself? James is saying, think about your life, think about your tongue, think about how powerful it is, think about how it is a restless evil that wants to serve self and tear down other people. Take that in, and if you're willing to try that little experiment, and if you're willing to think about who you really are, then go another step. So what is it that you're really like? Are you really sad? Like deep down, are you just really, really a sad person? Maybe you're bitter. Maybe there's just a lot of bitterness inside and that just comes out everywhere. Maybe you're just angry. Maybe there's just this incessant desire to be right because you always grew up in a place in which you had to perform in certain ways to know acceptance. And so everything has to be about me and performance. Is that you? I mean, at the end of the day, in your heart of hearts, who are you? Because if you're not willing to think about that and dig into it, then you're trying to keep the gospel from going to the most important place in the world. And that's your heart. Who are you? Well, that leads to the second question. What are we going to do with this? What are we gonna do with this? Why is the tongue such a problem? Well, it's a problem because um, we are accountable for everything we've ever said. Why, why is the tongue such a problem? Because it's really small and it's really powerful. Why is the tongue a problem? Because it can't be tamed. And we're supposed to tame it. So what are we gonna do with this? I'm gonna try something that may be really difficult to pull off, but I'm gonna try it. Did, all, did, did some of that make sense to you that we've covered so far? Did, could you find yourself there somewhere? All right, zoom out. 
Do you realize what is happening to us as we look at this passage of Scripture? Do you realize what God is doing to us through these 12 verses? Do you realize what has just been happening? Let me tell you, because this is how it came to me when I was studying it. James is removing every obstacle so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. James, James is, is rendering us virtually immobile. He is immobilizing us so that we can't run away and we can't forget and we can't delude ourselves more. He's moving everything out of the way. He's bringing the mirror and he's saying, do you see yourself? He's bringing the mirror and saying, look at it. Take a long look in the mirror. Beloved, what is happening is James is showing us that this is an anti-to-do list section of Scripture. There, there is no to-do list here. It's not as though any of us can say, all right, well, if I could just cut my tongue out, then everything would be great. That's the solution, right? He is not leading us to think, you know what, if I just got rid of my tongue, I would be a great human being. There is no to-do list here. He's saying, do you see yourself or who you really are? He is saying that the tongue is a way to your heart. Do you get it? Go back through and read those verses and meditate on them. He's removing everything so that we can see exactly who we are and we have to face the reality of what's going on in here. He wants us to feel the weight of the fact that we have to tame what cannot be tamed and we can't do it, but it must be done. He tells us in chapter one, do you know what pure and undefiled religion is? Do you know what it means to have a holistic life following Christ? Well, it has to do with your tongue, your hands, and your heart. That's what he says. Beloved, what are we gonna do with this? I've got good news for you. There's someone who's bridled the tongue. There's someone who's come and he's, he's tamed the tongue. Look at his life. He was falsely accused, right? He was slandered, right? He was unjustly dealt with, right? He never returned evil for evil, but always returned evil with good. He had to deal with those that were slow to get it. You know who's slow to get it? Right here, right here. Spent so much of my life trying to avoid Jesus by learning more. How did Jesus deal with that? Oh, flesh is weak in Dave, but the spirit is willing. Do you know how encouraging that is to hear? Think about how he dealt with me monsters, the kind of people that always had to one-up each other. 
In John 5, there's an incredible scenario in which Jesus is talking with me monsters, and he says two profound things to them. One was this, you search the scriptures and think that in reading them and knowing them, you have life. Well, I like like the way that sounds, Jesus. But he goes on. But the reason why the scriptures have life is because of me, and you won't come to me. Oh, that nailed me. Then, in a few verses later, he says this, you are seeking glory from one another. You're not seeking glory from God. Nailed. Right there. Nailed. See, the me monster is always the one who wants to know all the stuff, but wants to avoid Jesus. The me monster is the one who wants glory from everyone else, but doesn't want the glory to come from God or to go to God. Look at how Jesus lived. Look at how he dealt with people like us. Look at why he died. Beloved, do you realize that if you were rendered immobile through looking at those verses, I hope that you realize that Jesus died on the cross. I hope you're coming to the realization that God knows you have a problem. Look at the cross. And I hope that you know that because of what Jesus has done, he has power to overturn everything that was ever said about you and me that was wrong. And he has the power to overcome everything that I have ever said that has come from the pit. Do you believe that? Beloved, the only way that we can transform and change is through Jesus' life and his death and his power over death itself. The only way that we will ever change is by coming to Christ again and again and again. The only way that we will ever tame what is untamable that we cannot do is to come to Christ. You see, the punchline for these verses about the tongue is this. The punchline is not, you can do it. The punchline is, yet not I, but through Christ in me.